You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in rural places and understand the value of the work that God does there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and this week we get the uh, great pleasure, hopefully you agree with me on that, but we get the great pleasure of having another solo episode. Uh, I am excited to bring a guest next week uh, who hails from Texas and has an awesome rural story. But in the meantime, I wanted to take a few minutes and kind of share my heart on the idea of what it means to be incarnational during the holiday season, right? Christmas is here, uh, you know, at the time of this recording, we are just approaching December, and it can be a challenge because there's a busyness to it, the local church gets busy, and, uh, and a rural community can find yourself pretty involved. Uh, but really, the subject matter I want to touch on today is how to be incarnational in the Christmas season. And the word incarnational, I think, is such a fun theological term because uh, obviously it's it's incredibly central to the Bible. Uh, the idea that Emmanuel is God with us, the idea that Jesus became flesh, the idea that what God did to solve the problem of sin of humanity was not deal with it from a distance. Instead, uh, he became incarnated, right? He dwelt among us, right? Uh, one of my favorite favorite passages in all of scripture comes from John chapter 1, and it says uh, that, you know, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The message translation uh, says the word of God, you know, became flesh and then moved into the neighborhood. It's this idea that what Jesus did was to get up close to people. And it's kind of an incredible story, right? Jesus even chose to get up close to people who were not powerful people, not wealthy people, right? He chose to come to a Roman backwater. You know, that's all the nation of Israel was at the time that Jesus was born. It was a backwater province that gave the the Romans a lot of grief. And and again, he was born in poverty and he was born in simplicity and he was born in, in this community that didn't necessarily have political power or clout or really anything going for it. And so I just love that picture of Jesus as the one who is incarnational, because one of the things that I notice um, as a lover of Christian history is that frequently when we look back across history to the points where the church was most effective, it often trends towards when the church was also most incarnational. Uh, There's a famous quote that comes from the days of the Roman Empire, and it's uh, maybe within the first couple hundred years after Christianity becomes, uh, you know, like a religion in a sense, you know, when the faith is kind of taken off. And there's a Roman emperor famously that comments uh, to one of his subordinates and says, Uh, He's mad at the Christians, you know, and he says that his main complaint towards them is that they're doing a better job of taking care of the poor people of Rome than the Roman government is. And he considers it this an affront and an insult because they were so good at taking care of the downtrodden, disheartened, that it was actually cutting into people's dependence on the state, which is kind of an incredible concept. Uh, As you fast forward through history, this trend pops up again and again. Uh, when you see uh, the revival of kind of this Celtic way of Christianity that that started obviously on the British Isles and then mo- moved towards the continent, uh, you see a very incarnational way of living, right? It was this huge uh, shot in the arm for the, the Catholic Church because at the time they had kind of stagnated. And the Celtic 
Christians got things going. They lived among people. They were attached. They were not detached, living in a monastery out in the middle of nowhere. They were among the people, building communities of faith that involved the common people. Uh, When we look at the Catholic Church through kind of, you know, that medieval history and all those things, some of the most successful times in terms of reaching the world comes when these certain orders spring up, different uh, groups of people who, who choose to go into the world around them, right? You think of like Benedictine monks and Jesuits and all these things, and obviously history is colored by a lot of different lenses, but truth be told, a lot of the nuggets of these orders that popped up was this desire to be more involved in their community, and it drew uh, a great number of people to the faith at the time. Think of even up into uh, more modern times, you know, you talk through uh, what happened in missionary movements when suddenly people started not just uh, showing up and preaching the gospel, but meeting the needs of a society, feeding and clothing and digging water wells and, and orphanages and all these things. And, and our, our own history, uh, both as Christians and, and a lot of our listeners are Pentecostal, is littered with people meeting tangible needs for the gospel. Uh, I was just reading a book the other day, actually, that was written by a minister in 1972. And he talked about how a minister should face contemporary society. And I had to laugh because, of course, contemporary society in 1972 was now 50 years ago. And he was riding on the heels of the 1960s, which, of course, were this decade of insane cultural revolution, insane change. And uh, when when he talked about the job of the church, he said, how are we going to reach this world that to them in 1972 had just been turned upside down by this cultural revolution? And he says, well, the next generation, and he says it over and over again in this book, which I'll include a link to in the show notes, but he he said in the next generation needs people to be present, to be compassionate, to be with them in a real tangible gospel witness, to take an interest in them, to ask them questions, to, you know, be interested in listening to who they are and how they serve God. And I thought that was so powerful because fast forward 50 years, and and one could argue, and a lot of people have argued, that even present day we're facing these giant cultural shifts, uh, everything from values and morality to how people relate to the world around them and what they believe about that world. And I think the same advice is true today. You know, uh, there's a lot of authors out there writing about the digital age, if you will, and how, you know, when you look at COVID and and the rise of smart technology and all these different things that happened all at once, uh, there's a lack of community that's forming, right? There's this kind of digital overwhelm that leaves people potentially uh, not connecting with a Christian community. And so the, the question has been for a few years now, especially, is what can the church offer that an online experience can't? Because truth be told, we're competing, right, for attention, for voices, and none of us, um, none of the pastors listening to this, myself included, uh, can claim that we're the best preacher that someone could listen to ever. You know, we're, we just don't quite have the luxury of that title. And so and our church probably doesn't have the best worship that anyone's ever heard. And yet, what can the rural church especially offer is a sense of community, a sense of incarnation, a sense of tangibility. My own past and this, the interviews on this podcast are littered with stories of people being incarnational, of people saying, you know, things started to change when I started being present. And you can weave your way back through our episodes. I think of one highlight was an interview we did uh, sometime in 2022. It was Amy Osterhout, Pastor Amy, uh, was in a small town of 98 people. And all she did was serve at a fireman's breakfast. And they didn't even want her there, but eventually she convinced them and said, hey, I just want to serve. Our church wants to serve. We won't wear t-shirts. We'll just look at the ground the whole time. We just want to mop up syrup and keep tables clean. And uh, and that grew into their church eventually hosting a regional fireman's banquet. They get to share the gospel through that. 
uh, just because of a persistence over years uh, to be incarnational. You know, there's stories of people starting programs in their schools and in their communities. You know, I think of uh, an interview we did where, where a church was right next to a high school, and so they started just a lunch. You know, they, they had kids uh, defacing their building, and instead of kicking those kids out, they said, why don't we just invite them in? And they took kids who were otherwise vandalizing their property, started offering them lunch on a regular basis, and formed a thriving youth ministry because they were incarnational and they met the people where they're at. I think of stories from my own life where even fellow ministers looked around and said, man, it was because the rural church showed up in a tangible way that I am still pastoring that rural church today. And so I guess my challenge for you is this. You might you might be asking, hey, that's that's a great walkthrough of history or whatever, but what what's the point? The point is, is that I think we all need to be reminded from time to time that uh, to be truly effective, both then and now, and probably into the future, as long as the Lord tarries. The idea is that we need to be incarnational. We need to be present in our communities. We need to be meeting real needs of people in a way that points them to the hope of the gospel. And you say, well, that's a daunting task. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't have to be, though. Last I checked, one is more than zero. And so if you go from reaching nobody this way to reaching one person this way or, or reaching one aspect of your community this way when you weren't doing it before, that's a win, right? We're moving the gospel forward. And so I guess we'll have more guests on starting next week, and I'm excited to dive back into some of those stories. Uh, but in the meantime, I want you to reflect and pray and see how God would use you this Christmas season uh, to be incarnational just as Jesus lived his life when he was here on earth. And again, I just want to thank you for tuning in today. From all of us at Rural Advancement, it is our goal and our pleasure to bring you content every single week that's not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it and understand what you're going through. I hope that you would uh, find somebody who would benefit from these conversations, maybe share this podcast by word of mouth. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and our, at our website, ruraladvancement.com. Uh, feel free to stop by, give our podcast a rating or, uh, or a review. Those help a lot with traction. But otherwise, it's been a pleasure. I've been your host, Joe Epley, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.